If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We are working our way through the book of Ephesians. If you have missed uh, any of the last couple of Sundays, no dramas. Uh, we are looking at the book of Ephesians because the first three chapters really tell the gospel story. And then the last three chapters really tell uh, the story of the implications for our lives and how we're to live. And so that, uh, today we're going to be working our way through Ephesians chapter 3. And um, Paul's so excited about the gospel that he repeats himself a bit. So if you have missed out the last couple of weeks, no dramas, you're going to definitely get a recap because the Apostle Paul, who's writing this in prison, gets pretty excited about what God's doing. So let's start at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. The interesting thing, while we're on the subject of Paul, in fact, that should be out there, Michael, somewhere is it? Chapter 1? Chapter 3, verse 1? Here we go. Um, the interesting thing is that um, Paul is in prison because of a Greek, because the Greeks, and uh, so the Greeks are like the Gentiles in here, so the Gentiles are like anyone non-Jewish, but Paul's writing this because he stood up, you'll read this next chapter 19, he stood up to the Jewish population and said, no, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, even these guys are allowed into our family, this covenant family, and they were so up in arms about it that they threw him in prison and he had already visited uh, the, uh, uh, Ephesus a number of times and had planted churches there. And so then he gets so uh, sort of passionate about what God's doing in Ephesus that he's got to write this letter. But he says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, a little bit like, thanks guys, here I am. Uh, Surely you heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. Uh, and he, he's about to repeat himself in, in a minute. Uh, in terms of this revelation. And reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. And what is the mystery? The mystery is this, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now, most of you guys probably didn't wake up this morning and go, man, I wonder if I'm in or not. You know, the pressing issue for our day is not whether us Gentiles are included in the family of faith. We just don't have to deal with that anymore. But when Paul's writing this, it's a huge issue. Like, because it's been like, there's been a crew, it's been us Jewish fellas and, and chickas, uh, and we've been like hanging out together. And, and Jesus, who was, a Jew, who was the Jewish Messiah, came. But then something happened through Jesus that cracked open the, the family of God so that everyone could be a part of it including you Gentiles. I don't know if we've got any Jewish people here. I'm going to presume not. So all you Gentiles, all you non-circumcised, well, you're all welcome. You all can be part of the gang. It's so cool. Uh, and so what, what's happened through Jesus is that a whole lot of dividing walls that would separate people have been knocked down, which had huge implications for the early church. Because all of a sudden, people that never hung out together started hanging out together and started coming together in homes. Now, I love our church because of its diversity. I love that we've got different cultural backgrounds. I love that we've got different socioeconomic statuses. Some of you guys live on Snob Rock, like Andre. Uh, and, uh, and some of you guys, uh, some of you guys uh, live uh, you know, amongst the common people, the peasants down here. And people like Andre on Snob Rock look down on us. And, you know, but he, you know, all the guys from Snob Rock are welcome are welcome here in the church. 
and we've got people from all sorts of different histories. And together we are united in Jesus Christ. And together there's a rich, Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 1, there's a rich inheritance in the saints because of this diversity. Like our life is is more beautiful. It's slightly more complicated, but it's more beautiful because we come together. If you do community properly, and we're going to keep going here, we're going to really be pushing this as we move forward as a church, we want to come together in even greater unity together in spite of our different backgrounds, in spite of our different worldviews. And if we do it right, we're going to get annoyed at each other. We're going to bang into each other. We're going to hit bruises that we weren't aware of. We're going to cross cultural lines that we were oblivious to. We're going to mispronounce Maori names and it's going to be you know, annoying and all the rest of it. And we're going to keep working in Jesus to be united in Him. And it's, and it's this great testimony to uh, the world. However, we've got to acknowledge this morning that those Things that divide us are very strong. In fact, the enemy's at work big time in our culture at this time, trying to divide people, especially politically. It's like there's never been a more fractured political framework. Now, thankfully, in New Zealand, it's slightly diluted. But, you know, in Rome slash USA, you know, it's kind of all happening in terms of just a real, and and it's happening in in the United Kingdom, and it's probably inevitably going to get stronger here in terms of strong in and out. Like, if you agree with me, you're part of my crew. If you don't, you're the enemy. And it's like this huge uh, problem. So I've been reflecting on this a lot as I've been preparing my talk about the call for the church to reach across these, these areas, these lines that divide and to be a place of radical unity. And I got really convicted about this in the most surprising way possible, actually. Um, what happened is that Kanye West released a gospel album. And it's like, now no problem so far, you know, Jesus is King. So it's a, a phenomenal. It's, and so this comes out and Christians go crazy. Like, because we, we, we are, we're, we're crazy. Like, if you're new, if you're kicking on the tires on the Christian faith, I'm really sorry. We've got a lot of weird uncles and a really strange cousins. And, like, don't look on Twitter, whatever you do, because some of the things we say are just so embarrassing. And so, like, you know, there's been, it's been polarizing uh, in terms of his whole thing. Um, and there'll be countless sermons preached across the world today about this, this, this album. But the interesting thing, if we can go to the slides before we play that clip. Um, so there's a, uh, sorry, go to the next slide, um, that slide. So to be really honest, I have not liked Kanye West. Any, ta- any Taylor Swift fans in the house today? I mean, what he did to Tay-Tay at the, the Video Music Awards was just arrogance at its highest form. Now, some of you guys have got no clue who Kanye West is, and God bless you. Okay, for, for, for those of you that don't know who Kanye West is, remember Bob Dylan? Because all of you guys will remember Bob Dylan. So this is the equivalent. Kanye West becoming a Christian is like the Bob Dylan moment that you guys all went through in the 70s or whatever it was when Bob Dylan became a Christian and released that amazing album, uh, Slow Train Coming and all that. So it's, it's, the, it's the, definitely the modern-day equivalent. Like he is culturally as influential, some would argue, as, as Bob Dylan. But just an arrogant git. Like, he gets up there when Tay-Tay wins her, her little prize and just gets up there and is like, no way, she shouldn't win the prize. Beyonce should win the prize. And, like, disrupted the whole ceremony. Can we go to the next clip? Here's some of the things that he said. I feel like I'm busy, too busy writing history to read it. I'm God's vessel, but my greatest pain in life is that I'll never be able to see myself perform live. I still have the, I will go down as the voice of this generation of this decade. I will be the loudest voice. I'm a wall hole. I'm... 
I'm Shakespeare in the flesh. I mean, can you hear the arrogance that drips off Kanye West? It just boggles the mind. And so because of all this stuff, I've just written him off. I'm like, you're just an arrogant git. And in my heart, I despised him. I was like, you just are a horrible, arrogant, wealthy, you know, man. Let's keep, we can keep going. Let's stop there. And... Then, I don't know this, but he's clearly become a Christian. And so it's like, okay. And then he releases the album, and I'm like listening to it, and it's dripping with the presence of God, and it's declaring that Jesus is king. And then you do the research, and you find out that he's in Bible studies all the time. In fact, there's a picture of him in a church service here that some paparazzi guy probably took, genuinely worshipping the Lord. So... You've got this whole thing going on. Now, I want to play you a little clip. If you scroll down, Michael, to the bottom there, there's a little, I want to play you this audio clip that completely hammered me, okay? So this is from his album. So this is not going to be everyone's flavor. Said I'm going to do a gospel album. What have you been hearing from the Christians? They'll be the first one to judge me. Make it feel like nobody loved me. They'll be the first one to judge me. Feeling like nobody loved me. What have you been hearing from the Christians? They'd be the first one to judge me. Make it feel like nobody loved me. Make you feel alone in the dark and you never see the light, man. You never see in home, man. You never see the domes. I can feel it when I write. When I live in the- that broke my heart. I heard that and I was like, that's me. I'm the one writing him off. I'm the one that he would have kind of maybe tried to, re- you know, it's not. But like hypothetically, if he reached out to me before I knew all this stuff, I would have just dismissed him. I would have had a vibe. I would have just, I'm that Christian. I'm that Christian. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. And this is what Paul's talking about. This is the sort of posture in our hearts that as followers of Jesus, we've got to break down. Because he's called us to reach across the division that our culture's created and to be a community of love. Let's have a look at a few people here. Even these guys. Even these guys. He calls us to love. What if these guys became Christians and they had to say the same things? What about these guys? What about, let's keep going. Who else have we got here? What about the mum smoking meth who's got a child? For those of us that went to Tehahi, the training on Wednesday night, we heard a story from one of these mums who shared her story. And she said a number of times, as, I mean, when we saw, for those of you that were there, it was, it was life-changing. This woman gets up to train us in family harm from the police college on Wednesday. And she gets up and she looks like a woman in her 50s from Havelock North who's got money. Right? That was the, the vibe I got. Then she does like, so it's like together, and wealthy, and white privileged, and all that. And then she does half an hour of stunning uh, presentation on family harm. And she's like, okay, she knows this stuff, phenomenal. And then she tells her story, and she tells the story of the, the, the neglect she went through as a child, about the way that her mum completely emotionally detached from her before she was even born, about the effect it had on her, as she grew up, about the fact her father was the only one that loved her. But then when her, when her parents separated and her father got um, a girlfriend, this girlfriend began abusing this poor girl, 14, uh, at this stage, eight years old, and would spit in her meals 
and stir it up and say, you've got to eat that, would physically abuse her. And then she eventually gets sent back to her mother who doesn't like her. By 14, she's on the street. By 14, end of 14, she's had her first abortion. She's like, how do you, and she's not a Christian. So she's given this, and she's in a room full of Christians. How do you guys look at me in this moment? How do you treat me in this moment? She said, in that moment, if one person had come along in my life and expressed genuine kindness, my life would have changed. No one did. And then she goes through about the fact she met a, a member from the Red Fano, and she um, and she she gets pregnant to him. Eventually, she wants to leave. The pre- president over in Taranaki says, "You can leave, but you've got to leave your child, her second, her third child at this point, to a th- third different husband, uh, father. You can leave, but you have to leave your child." And she does. She says, "I have to live with this all the time." She says, "In that moment, if someone had come along in my life and expressed genuine kindness, my life wouldn't have been the same. But no one did." She starts dating a Highway 61 member, moves down south, continues to get the, the snot beaten out of her, continues to get abused, continues to go through hell. Certain points is using drugs to try and anesthetize the pain in spite of. She's like, Tahahi folks, you're going to be walking into homes. She said, at any point along the way, if someone had expressed genuine kindness, my life would have been different. And thank goodness someone did eventually. Reached across loved her, saw potential, saw the image of God in her that was buried deep amongst all this pain and brokenness and began to speak life to her. She says someone began to suck out the toxins and replace it with praise and affirmation. And someone, had, and I don't know if they were Christian or not, I don't know if they were, they didn't, but effectively this woman prophesied over her in that first meeting and said, one day you're going to be a person who influences New Zealand for good. And she just couldn't. And she is today. She got the New Zealand Order of Merit uh, last year. She's she's earning good money training uh, all the police about having empathy in, in family harm situations. It was so moving. It was so moving. And our jobs to be those people. The next one's going to push some of you even too far, probably. What about these guys? You know, <laughs> love is here again, polarizing in the room straight away. Our job is to be agents of love. I can't honestly say I've looked at Trump. Uh, and, and felt a warm affection and the love of God and gone, one day, mate. And, but Paul does. Paul does. Listen to this. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Listen, although I am the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. The boundless riches of Christ are available to the white nationalists. The boundless riches of Christ are, are, are available to, to our red whānau or to our black whānau, uh, the LGBT community, the riches, the, the riches of, the, of, the, of the grace of God, the boundless riches of Christ, to that mum smoking crack, even to any president, the boundless riches of Christ are available to everyone. And the interesting thing is that uh, Paul, is, he knew he had a grace on him to reach the Gentiles. And, and what the Lord wants to do in us is, number one, give us a heart that has nothing but love for every person we meet. Now, you don't have to agree with their lifestyle, you know, but you can be a person of love. But secondly, he will grace you to reach a certain type of person. And so there's people that you can reach that I can't. There's people that are in your sphere of influence that you can reach with the boundless riches of Jesus Christ that I can't. 
And together we can reach the world. But there will be a grace on you. And this is what it frees you because you don't have to, to you know, like Andre or Bruce would have this kind of grace on you to reach maybe the Red Whanau or other people in our community. But there'll be other people they can't reach that you can. So you don't have to be somebody else. You can be you. And you can just receive and walk in the grace that God's given you to preach the boundless riches of His grace, of Christ Jesus. Often in the church, you would have seen this before. We've had this kind of idea. Now, we haven't, we haven't said this, but man, has it been unstated, that to be part of a church community, firstly, you've got to behave. Some of you guys are working through issues, and we've been talking. Big issues. And, and the biggest struggle you've got is, can you walk into this building without feeling more stink than you already do? Because what the message the church has given to society says, you've got to get squeaky clean. Then you can start coming to church. The number of times I sit down with people, you know, and I'm talking to them, you know, on the plane or, or you just wind up having a yarn and you can just tell they do not want to darken the door of this community because they are going to make, to, they think they're going to be made to feel stink. And it's like, no. And then we said, once you behave, then you've got to believe all the right stuff. And once you've crossed the line and believe it, then you can belong. Then you can be part of our crew. And, and Jesus and Paul reiterates this, turns this completely upside down and says, this is a community of faith where you can believe. It doesn't matter what your behaviour is. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what mess you're in. You can belong here. And then as you hang out with us, we pray that you'll encounter the presence of a loving and living God who's in our midst, who believes in you. Just like that winds worker back in the day believed in the woman that shared it to Hahi. You'll feel his belief. Belief in you, that where you're at isn't where you have to stay, that in Him there's a future, in Him is life. And it's not just about believing in Him so that you go to heaven when you die. It's about heaven breaking into earth now, about experiencing His life now. He's come to bring you life. And so as you believe, that will start happening. And then the behaving thing just starts to happen. It doesn't happen overnight, as Rachel Hunter said, but it will happen as you hang out as you hang out with the community of faith, as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, He'll start leading you into all truth. He'll start leading you into all life and He'll transform you from glory to glory so that you start coming alive in Him. That's what He does. And so uh, this wonderful Canadian pastor, Bruxy Cavey, said this, We want to love so wildly and so well that people assume we're a liberal church even though we're conservative in our theology. I love it. I'm conservative theologically, FYI, if everyone's starting to freak out and wonder what the heck's going on. I'm conservative, but I want us to get a liberal reputation. I want want other Christians in the Bay to go, ooh, bit of a liberal church Bay vineyard. Have you seen who they love? Ooh, not sure about that. I want us to get a liberal reputation for our love, even though we're conservative in our theology. To just love people radically, recklessly, in spite of all of the stuff that says we we shouldn't be connected. His intent, verse 10, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. So through the church, this is how it's revealed the manifold wisdom of God. Uh, We are united in Jesus Christ. 
And in Jesus, through faith, Paul's saying here, we can come close to God. And in him and through faith, you may, we may approach God, listen, with freedom and with confidence. What a great line. Again, that's that whole, like, you belong. Even if you're not sure, you know, you're trying to work out all your theology and all this sort of stuff. In Jesus, you can approach God with freedom and with confidence. And so for this reason, so Paul's, Paul's frothing here. For this reason, for the, the, the extraordinary boundary-breaking love of God, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He prays that God would strengthen you. Now there's a reason Paul's got to pray that. It's because we get weak real quick. Like, it's freaky, eh? Like, everyone's feeling all frothed up now because we've had a worship time and I'm preaching my guts out. And so you're like, oh, yeah, go Jesus, Jesus, give me a J, give me an E, give me, you're like, I'm all in, I'm, I love you. And then by Tuesday, right, you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, man. Like, you know, is he even real? And I need another coffee, maybe you are. And, you know, and it's... And you start, and then, and then maybe you've got this addiction or thing you're battling, and you stumble, and you're just like, oh, you know. And you, can I keep going? Can I keep going? And Paul says, yes. He prays that God would strengthen you. Paul loves his church. I mean, when he leaves Ephesus, you can read this in Acts as well. There's just grief as he leaves to go on his next church planting adventure. When we left Christchurch, uh, church we desperately loved. We were filled with grief because we loved the church. Now, he had something better for us. The old, the old ex-girlfriend, terrible compared to you guys. And I'm telling you, we, we love, I, I, I get what Paul's, where Paul's coming from. Like, I carry you guys in my heart. I love this church. Like, you have no idea. I spend my weeks thinking about you, praying for you. Just, I carry you guys in my heart every day. This is, it's a glorious burden. It's a beautiful burden. I'm like, how are they doing? Oh, I hope they're okay. I know normally who's struggling, who's a bit wobbly. Sometimes it's not because I've heard anything, but because the Spirit of God has gone, mate, you need to pray for X, Y, Z. You need to reach out to that person. You need to, and, I just can't, and, and so Paul's in the same spot. He just loves these people. And so what does he pray? He just prays that you'd be strengthened. And I pray the same over you this morning. Would you be strengthened? And whatever battle you're facing, whatever things that you're wrestling with, would you be strengthened by His Spirit this morning? Where you could just go, yes, I can go another day. Yes, I can go another week. Yes, I can do it in Him. And it's not because you're gritting your teeth and digging deeper. It's because something has happened. By His Spirit, there's been a strengthening of your inner man or inner woman. And then he goes on to say, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the, all the fullness of God. His two prayers, one, that you'd be strengthened, and two, that you would know this love of God. And he says a paradoxical statement that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, we talked about this last week, but this is the theme throughout the beginning of Ephesians where Paul's praying that there would be a revelation of God's love for you. I shared this story, actually, when we launched the church. 
as, as the opening um, message because this is central to, to who we are as a church family. So if you heard it, uh, you've, you would have forgotten it probably because it was a while ago. But I want to tell you this story again because I had an encounter with God where this became very real for me in my 20s. Um, as part of uh, my studies at Bible college, my major was in spiritual formation, which is exploring how the church throughout history has helped people grow spiritually. And there's amazing streams uh, of, of uh, the monastic movements and the different uh, denominations that have kind of brought beautiful things to the table. And as part of uh, the study, we had to go on a week-long silent retreat. Um, now, this was thankfully before the era of cell phones. We had cell phones went crazy. I had a brick that I could ring mum if things got tricky, but apart from that, there was like no phones. Dad had given me an old IBM computer, a laptop that just, you know, was DOS-based or whatever, and it was just, you know, just tragically, I'm really old, turns out. And so, um, so I'm okay, I'm going to this retreat, I've got this silent retreat for a week, and so I'm, I just take a stack of books, because I'm like, what do you do? You know, I'm like, okay. So I take a big stack of books and, uh, and my laptop, and, a few, and it's like, okay, and we turn up there, and then every day we had to meet with a spiritual director, just an old saint who would just help kind of guide us through this week. So the first day she's like, how about you don't read the books and just see what Jesus wants to say? And I'm like, okay, you know. Um, and so I'll go for these long walks every day. And, and it took me about two days to really slow down mentally and in my own sort of soul. The Africans have this uh, saying, um, an African tribe once uh, of runners actually, and they would they would stop, and then these white people were like, "Come on, we're gonna keep going." Like, how come you're not going? And they're like, "We're waiting for our souls to catch up. It's just gonna rest. We're gonna be." And I thought that's a it's a lovely thought, and that's what it felt like for me for the first couple of days. It was like, "Whoa, I'm just so distracted." This is before the age of distraction. Like, you guys are way worse than I ever was back then in terms of all the, right now, most of us need therapy and an addiction thing in terms of our phone thing. But um, so for two days, so then I start slowing down. And over, over the course of the remainder of the week, I encountered the love of God in the most radical way I'd ever encountered the love of God to that point. It was like liquid around me. So I'm walking around this little monastery and I'm like, and I'm just feeling this love of God. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> just like tears streaming down my face. And I'm walking in the corridor. Then we had like communal dinners that were all silent. So I had my mates there and I'm like. <laughs> and then like we'd have this little devotion every night where some guy would take us through something. And I'm just smoked. I'm just like this blithering mess. And, and it was like we had these moments in church and then we go off and do something else. I couldn't go anywhere else. I had to sit in it and sit in it and sit in it and sit in it. And it was just overwhelming. It was absolutely overwhelming. It was changing me. It was healing me. It was what Paul was praying for. I was experiencing an encounter with the love of God that was tangible. As I say, the only way I can describe it is like when you jump into a water and it surrounds you. It was like liquid. And I was just overwhelmed. And so I was journaling in my little monk room. Just what I was trying to, you know, what I, it's hard, you can, you can't, it's Paul's, Paul's nailing it to know something beyond knowledge. So I can't even try and explain it, but it's real. So I'm sitting there in my little monk room and I'm like, oh, this is crazy, man. This is insane. You know, trying to process it and journal it. And I looked up at my little table and I had a little cup of water that was half full of water. That's like that. And in this moment, I felt like God would speak to me super clearly. He's like, Sam, 
what you're experiencing of my love for you is like this glass of water and it is overwhelming for you. It's almost too much. That's what you're experiencing of my love. But Sam, look out the window. And I look out the window and I see the ocean. As far as the eye can see, I just see water. And God's like, that is what my love is for you. That is what my love is for you. And I'm like, ooh. I'm like, that water, it's too much. I can't handle the jandle here. And you're saying, that's your love for me? And Paul's saying, yes. Yes, this is what it's like. This is, it gives us the, the, the tiniest glimpse of a metaphor that can somehow speak to the height and the depth and the width and the length of God's love for you. It's just, it's the foundation of everything. It's what we sang about. It's that I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And that's ultimately what Paul's trying to drive home this morning, is that we would know this love. God is love. Can I go to the next slide, Michael? I mentioned this last week. We've got, we've got confused about God's essence and His expressions. And so we say, oh yeah, God is love, but He's also holy. Or God is love, but He's also righteous. And it's like, there's no but. God is holy love. And there's expressions of His love, His holiness and His justice and all of that sort of stuff. But at his essence, he is love. That is the core of who God is. And I mentioned this last week, but the, the, uh, John uh, said this very, very clearly after sitting with the living God for, for 80 plus years as he reflected on God's love. And he just simply said this clear as day in what passage? 1 John. Come on, Michael, help me out here, bro. There we go. 1 John 4 verse 8. He says it a number of times. God is love. Not and, not but. God is love. That is who He is. And so what's our role in that? And our role in that is to simply receive it, to rest in it, to rejoice in it, to glory in it, to worship Him for it, to drink it in. You can be at peace. There's a whole lot I don't understand about how the world works and even about how God works, and truthfully. I've studied theology. I've read all the books. There's still some, I'm scratching my head and we all got those things. Oh, when I see God, I'm going to ask him about that. How does that work out? I don't know a whole lot of stuff, but I do know this. He's love. I know him, I know her. He's love. And so that helps me chill out for all the rest of it. And that means I can boldly approach the throne of grace. When I make mistakes or when I'm wrestling with things or when I feel like I failed, I can not run away from him, but I can run to the one who can make me clean. And he always, always will make me feel loved. He'll never make me feel stink. He'll never make me feel little. He'll never condemn me. He'll always, always make me feel loved. And I just, it, it feels undeserved. I feel like I've got to tidy, I, you know, I'm a pastor and I've got to feel like I've got to tidy myself up before I hang out with God sometimes. So no, I can just come as I am. And that's the glorious good news of the gospel. And then he finishes with this, because that's a big thing to say. And he finishes with this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do immeasurably more. Immeasurably more of what? of revealing His love. Immeasurably more of revealing His love. Like, preparing a sermon like this is brutal because all I want to do is make you feel loved. 
All I want to do is make you feel what I feel, but I can't do it because I'm not God. So I can only do what Paul does. And let's pray, Lord, I pray. I pray that you would bring revelation to every person that comes to church this Sunday that they're loved. That they're loved. And that's, and that's what we're going to do today as we finish, is we're just going to say, Lord, we're here. Reveal it. Reveal it to us. Reveal it to me. And that love heals us. And that love sets us free. And we can rest in that love. And we can celebrate that love and, and just delight ourselves that we're loved. And it's the battle of our lives is to believe it. But it's, he can do immeasurably more. By his spirit, he can bring that revelation according to his power that is at work within us. And therefore to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so this morning as I've been preparing, I just these are the things I'd love us to pray for this morning. Is that we would... Uh, some of you guys, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and I've, uh, he wants to give you a fresh grace and a fresh anointing to preach slash live the gospel. The gospel in a nutshell, in one word, is Jesus. So if you're trying to like everyone, how do you define the gospel? Jesus is, the, is one word to get you going. It's all about Jesus. It's proclaiming Jesus. It's elevating Jesus. It's, if you're not too sure about how to share your faith, just talk about Jesus. That is the gospel. But also, we're not called just to... I'm tired of the idea of just sharing the gospel because what I want more than ever is that we would be living gospels. And what's the gospel? The good news of Jesus. The good news that He changes you, that He sets you free, that He heals you. And the best way you can share the gospel is to tell people what Jesus has done for you. And if it feels like Jesus has been distant or like, man, it's been dry for a while, I want to pray that, that the, the, by Spirit this morning, there'd be a, a sense of Him breaking into your life in a fresh way so that you could get frothed on Jesus again because He's good news. That He would he'll bring healing. He would allow your weekly rhythms to be such that, it's, that, that it feels like life or whatever it may be that you could just experience the goodness of God as He cracks into your life even more. That He'd open your heart in a new way. Let's be living Gospels. Uh, and, and as I said before, that, that I want to pray for fresh anointing for some of you that, that there's a people group on your heart. And you like, those are the people I feel like God's called me to reach. Like other people may struggle and a lot of people in society dismiss them, but they are my people. And they are the ones that I want to share the riches of Jesus with. They are the people. And, and there's, uh, this morning I sense by His Spirit, He wants to give you a fresh sense of dynamism. And, and what you're doing and what you're sharing. And the second thing, obviously, is that we would have a greater experience of God's love. That this morning would be like, oh, me as well. I get included in that. That's mental. But yes, thank you, God, that we'll just drink it in and receive it. Let's stand together and invite the Holy Spirit to do that.